0: Hi, I'm Brenna Ardron, and you're listening to For Your Healing Pleasure. This life can be rocky, which makes healing a big part of it. I started this podcast as a space to explore all that promotes healing. Through the voices of guests, healers, and thought leaders, I hope you gain bits of inspiration for your own healing journey. I believe together we can heal. So without further ado, For Your Healing Pleasure. Hello everyone and welcome to the For Your Healing Pleasure Podcast. Today I have Liza Duby here. She is an emotional intelligence coach and I'm really excited to introduce you all to her. Um, And we're just going to talk a little bit about her journey towards that and the importance of emotional intelligence and um, really educating ourselves on that. And um, yeah, so Liza Liza, uh, um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more, who you are, what you do? Sure. I would love
1: to. Thank you so much. Um, like you said, my name is Liza Doobie, and I'm an emotional intelligence coach, and human-centered communications consultant, and it all kind of falls under the same umbrella based off of about 20 years of experience as a marketing and communications leader in a variety of different types of industries over the course of the first part of my career. I also live in Western Massachusetts. I'm a single mom to two little kids and lots of pets. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got a lot of caring and love that sort of surrounds me and the world work that I do, which always makes it a lot better.
0: And I'm thrilled to be here chatting with you today. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited, too. So I want to get a little bit more into your background, kind of what led you up to the um, your path in the corporate space that eventually led you to emotional intelligence coaching. Um, <laughs> so what was your experience in corporate and um, what were maybe some of the problems that you experienced in that space while you were working in that area?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I, think I'm probably more surprised than anybody else that I ever spent any time in the corporate world. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely not a plan. In fact, I don't think I've really ever had career ambitions, but I was always on a mission. From the time I was a little kid through, you know, my growing up years, um, through my career, there was always something that I felt like I needed to fight for um, and to support and be a part of. So before I actually got into the corporate space, I was in politics. I was a mm-hmm. lobbyist and political organizer. I worked on political campaigns. I ran campaigns. Then I moved into nonprofit, which is really the gateway to corporate <laughs> <laughs> in many, many ways. It's just as corporate, Um, and then after I got married and had my first kid, um, I found myself um, with a a great opportunity at a great local company um, that I just couldn't resist, and eventually I became the Director of Marketing Communications at Stonyfield, and then the Vice President of Communications at Housing Partnership Network, which is a national affordable housing nonprofit, before Mm -hmm. I set off on this coaching and consulting Mm -hmm. journey. And, you know, I was just talking to a client today who is trying to kind of figure out um, what she wants to do next, because she's in a very, very corporate environment, and was sharing a little bit about, um, you know, my journey, and uh, it's funny to think about the sort of moment when I got into the corporate space and I sort of saw the way that people were interacting with each other and I had come out of politics which is not a healthy <laughs> land to be participating in it's very weird everybody marries each other at the end it's all quite a strange like lifestyle scenario for me it was not my lifestyle scenario um you know, the, in the corporate space, it felt like nobody was really being direct and uh, that it was really just about the competition. And, uh, you know, the idea of taking care of people felt really secondary. And I had a moment when I got promoted and had a full team that was about to report to me that had been my peers leading up to that and felt like I needed to make a choice. I could either lead for power. I could lead Mm. in a way that was going to get me more leadership positions and, you know, get me more money and I could lock right into the game because I saw the game, I understood how it was played, and I knew that I could play it. I had no doubt that I could. Um, Or I could choose to lead with love. And I'd had so many bad bosses at that Mm -hmm. point in time, I knew exactly what kind of boss I didn't want to be. So the only other option was to be A love boss. (laughs) (laughs) So I sort of went with that. And what I found was that by putting my team first and really loving the people that were working for me and uh, caring about them as humans before anything else gave me the power and so oh. I rapidly rose through the organization and, you know, reached career goals that honestly were so delusional. Like I really was like, I showed up in the corporate space and was like, in five years as a copywriter, in five years, I'm going to be a vice president.
0: <laughs> and it happened. <laughs> and it took about yeah. seven.
1: Wow. It took about seven, right? So, um, and and I didn't, I didn't play the power game in the same way. You know, it was a different kind of power. And I still have people who have worked for me, you know, many years ago who are still, you know, emailing me and messaging me and calling me and looking for that mentorship and looking for that advice. We created real relationships during that time that, um, you know, no paycheck would be able to, to sort of compensate for. Right. Um, so I knew that it was possible when I walked, when I finally walked away and I walked away because I was in a really bad work environment. It was really toxic. It was hurting me emotionally and physically. And I just, I didn't want other people to have to keep suffering like that. And yeah. uh, I knew that what helped me succeed was, you know, this sort of human first approach. And when I discovered the possibility of uh, really zeroing in on emotional intelligence as the way to bring all of these pieces together. It just felt like everything clicked and uh, it's just made so much sense from that moment forward.
0: I, I love so much of what you said and I have uh, some questions about um, some (laughs) of the pieces. So my first question is, um, so Having that experience of being a leader and having the choice of I can lead for power, which I would say is maybe the more traditional route that people go, or I can lead in a through a more human and love-centered lens. What was your experience of like um living that way? Did you encounter any resistance? Like what was your experience of being in the environment and choosing that route of love and human centeredness?
1: Um, I definitely got to feedback during performance <laughs> reviews about being too loyal to my team, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, showing favoritism. Things because people felt people who weren't engaged in the whole relationship felt left out of the relationship. But I mean, we were really because my team was the PR and social media, marketing, communications, creative. Everybody came to us, and we were really fun. And you know, I was working at Stonyfield, so we made a lot of baked goods and delicious recipes <laughs> to lure people into our love fest. You know, we were very inclusive in that way, but it was hard for people to, um, you know, really be able to embrace if they didn't get it. But our my team was so successful. We were constantly running amazing, successful, joyful campaigns that they just couldn't really argue with it either, you know? Right. So I was given a lot of leeway, a lot of space. Um, One whole team was um, transitioned over to me when there was one individual on a team who'd had a a really tragic experience and Mm. she had taken leave. And when it was time for her to come back, her boss said, I don't know what to do with this person. So they gave me the entire team. Wow. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. And then ultimately people from other teams, people who weren't reporting to me started to come to me for one-on-one coaching. And that's when I got my first coaching. certification. I had so many women coming to me, unable to really manage the, uh, expectations of a different leadership style. And they saw that I was leading in a different way and nobody right. was, was critiquing my style. So they were coming to me to figure out how I was getting away with it. <laughs> really? yeah. uh, so eventually I went to the, uh, human resources VP and said, look, all these people are coming to me for coaching. You guys should probably pay for me to get a certification. And so they did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is that is so cool. And I my second question was kind of around like, why do you feel like um it's kind of a less traveled path for leaders to take? I, I would say the landscape's shifting a bit now, but uh for leaders to take that path towards like love, leading with love versus leading with power kind of at the forefront.
1: I mean, it's just the system, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the white supremacist, patriarchy, capitalist system that kind of puts us in the position where to do that is really risky. Mm-hmm. And I, because I had no true career ambitions, like I wasn't really trying to get to the top of anything or to prove anything, I had a lot less at stake in taking those types of risks. Um, so, you know, I think that was a part of it. I recognized my privilege and felt really compelled to use the privilege that I had to speak up for people. So, and again, I came out of an activist background. So I think that that probably also made a bit of a difference in a part of my approach, but Mm -hmm. I think that people have an experience and they just did think that that's what the experience has to be so when they got initiated in trial by fire super intense you know working all weekend long you know not getting paid any money terrible beginnings of their careers they felt like that's what everybody had to do to Mm -hmm. make it in their career you know like and you can't deny the lessons that you learn when you're working in that type of environment so it's very tricky it's a really tricky scenario you get feedback from bosses people who tell you that they want to be your mentor and that they're really trying to help you and then they critique your personality and so you think that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go on to do it to others. You know, it's a whole systemic sort of uh relationship problem that's uh, happening and so it's hard for people to really know that there's another way to do it and you know, we're all at work to make money and right. uh, you know, like have a job, have stability and uh, if if you're not trying to risk that, or you're in a position where you can't risk that, then going with the flow is going to be your safest option. So you can't blame people for it as much either.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Cause I think that like, um, you know, oftentimes like we can, um, there are these systems that we realize are problematic as a whole. And then we, Um, you know, sometimes we'll blame individuals within that system without realizing that they are also victims sometimes of the system of, you know, doing what worked and kind of like, yeah, like, um, I mean, most people are willing to do whatever it takes for what works to be successful or to, you know, move up the ladder um, and, sometimes if you see that this is the only path towards success, that's the route that you take the path of least resistance. Um, and there's no, yeah. no shame in that, but I think that that's why I'm so attracted to what you're doing. Cause I think it's so important. I want to segue a little yeah. bit into why you chose emotional intelligence as the lens or how you got to emotional intelligence is the lens that you kind of coach through. Um, Because in our, when we were talking before this episode, what I really like about what you're doing is you're almost providing people with tools to really be able to survive and be more effective within the corporate space Um, so that they can actually be agents of change. Um, You know, we're both entrepreneurs now and I don't have a long experience in um the corporate space. <laughs> um <laughs> but I think that in today's um uh, you know there's there's a lot of push towards um entrepreneurship nowadays, which I think is fantastic and great. And obviously I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm very pro people you know, being entrepreneurs, if that's what they want to be. But I think also sometimes it's seen as a solution like, oh, well, if you, um, you know, corporate is so toxic and so everyone should just start their own business. But we see also people start their own business and then they kind of model these corporate structures because we don't really, um, you know, work trying to conceive and create a new blueprint but people don't necessarily know what that new blueprint is and i think the other piece of it is that cor- these corporate spaces likely will not go away and so what can we do to um improve these spaces so that people that are leading with love can be more successful and become be more effective and not become completely drained in the process of like you know um, like, of resistance or kind of leading and yeah. like, uh, a, in a way that's different from everyone else. So yes, why, how did you arrive at the place of using emotional intelligence as kind of that lens that you coach through?
1: Yeah, at some, at some point in my leadership and spokesperson career, I kind of came up with like a set of values, that were my operating values. Being in PR and being a spokesperson, especially coming out of politics, was very, um, you know, you really, I was very, very aware of my personal exposure when Mm -hmm. I was out there as a spokesperson. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was really important to me that the people that I was representing as a spokesperson were telling the truth Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> being responsible in the way that they responded to things. Um, and so I kind of came up with my own little mini value set of honesty, empathy, and strategy as the way that I would approach uh, difficult communications. And mm-hmm. I had to do crisis communications for recalls and for layoffs and for all different types of things. And I mm-hmm. found it really helpful to the people that I was guiding as I was creating those communication strategies for them to know what I was, where I was coming Coming from that, like right. we were going to do our our very best to tell the truth, uh, that we were going to put ourselves in the people's shoes that were the most impacted by this, from employees to customers to you know our supply chain folks, um, and that we were going to be really strategic about it, that we were really going to be going through a very step by step process as we mm-hmm. went through things. And uh, I found that was really comforting for people, and it also was really true to me and just the way that I approach things generally. And when I started my business, that was a big part of the way that I initially started talking about my coaching and consulting was that like, this is how we will approach this with Mm -hmm. honesty, empathy, and strategy. And I kept thinking about empathy and reading about empathy and talking about empathy and writing about empathy until I kind of got to that place where I was like, wow, empathy is really the cornerstone of emotional intelligence. And that moved me into that path of uh, realizing that all that's what I had been using all along. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't inventing something. I was just using a subset of what most people think of as emotional intelligence in, you know, a variety of different ways. And the system of uh, emotional intelligence, once you start to dive into it, is so perfect because it's endless. It's the, you know, there's, you could never be done studying and working on and thinking about emotional intelligence and you can never be perfect at it. And there's something really comforting about that where it's not, Um, a a personality trait or a characteristic. You don't just have emotional intelligence. You do emotionally practice emotional intelligence. It's it's an exercise of constantly striving to know yourself and other people better in order to be able to manage yourself and the way that you participate in the relationships around you.
0: Yeah. I love that you illuminate like Um, Because I think sometimes these issues like empathy, we can kind of take them as take them for granted as like everyone knows how to be empathetic or everyone knows how to like it's obvious it's common sense, you know, and I like that you are illuminating that emotional intelligence is a skill that you can practice and build and um, become more knowledgeable about because I think that like I love when we illuminate Agency, like that we have personal agency in some of these like <laughs> things. It's not like, oh, you have it or you don't, you're born with that talent, or you don't know. It's something that you can learn and become better at. Um, mm-hmm. so I'd love to hear you delve more into like maybe some of the um, I guess, like your process in learning more about emotional intelligence and some of the things that you've learned and realized um, through working with clients or that you've discovered yourself.
1: Yeah, I think probably one of the most interesting concurrent things things that I learned as I was uh, really diving into emotional intelligence coaching that was happening as I was also advocating for my oldest son, who's autistic and ADHD, Mm -hmm. was my own discovery of my own neurodivergence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And realizing that so many of the emotional intelligence skills that I have now, I have because I worked really hard to get them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I studied humanity. I tried to out Figure out, You know, what the culture was in whatever place that I was in, in order to be able to, you know, feel comfortable in those environments and jive with the people who are around me. And I'm so passionate about language and communication. It's just the thing that I am and do. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the core part of my being that realizing so much of what I had done was the just intuitively studying emotional intelligence and and intuitively being in that practice was the super empowering and it really gave me the understanding of uh, what a spectrum it truly is. Mm. That it's not a high, you don't really have high emotional intelligence or low emotional intelligence. You have various strengths and weaknesses among a variety of different characteristics and those strengths and weaknesses might change depending on the situation that you're in. So you might be very emotionally intelligent when you're in a familiar corporate setting Mm. and you might be extremely awkward and uncomfortable and having a hard time managing communication or relationships, or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in a totally new environment with people that you've never really known how to interact with before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you, and that can be one person in two different places with two entirely different emotional intelligence experiences. So knowing that and uh, working with different individuals over and over again to, on their various strengths and seeing all the cool, beautiful, interesting combinations of skills and being able to help people recognize that there. Not really anything that they need to change. Mm -hmm. They just need to recognize, identify, and appreciate the strengths that they have and how amazing those strengths have already been for them. And just having that foundation of knowing where your emotional intelligence that you've grown and you can grow it, some of it you're born with, some of it you've grown on purpose for whatever reason to get along better with a group or whatever it might be. And some of it you acquire because. Bad stuff happened to you, and you mm-hmm. had to learn how to have higher situational awareness or greater empathy. So all the reasons for growing it—it's not—it's not you know just people holding hands and skipping through the daisies. Right. <laughs> you know? It just—it's just life. It's what we acquire over the course of our lives, and what I do is just help people zero in on the things that they've acquired, and uh, you know really celebrate those strengths and learn how to use them more strategically in the future, in particular when they're in sticky situations.
0: Yeah, I love that, like that emphasis on like on the strengths that we already have acquired with regards to this skill, and then seeing places where like those strengths show up, and then maybe where there's like more discomfort and more like, um, there's like an opportunity to learn more. I think that's so great. Um, I on continuing on the subject of emotional intelligence, where and why do you feel like? emotional, just being aware of emotional intelligence is important within, you know, our society as a whole.
1: (laughs) I mean, baseline, we're humans with emotions and that's really important. And just something that we're not um, focusing on in a way that's as empowering as it could be. We really Mm -hmm. think about our emotions as these like liabilities a lot of times, (laughs) you know, we apologize for our feelings and we don't want to feel too much of anything in sort of any direction. And uh, I think that really leaves a lot on the table in a lot of different ways, not just in the sort of like workspace where people aren't allowed to be their whole selves. And so nobody is benefiting because they're, they're not comfortable and everybody else isn't getting the magic that they could be bringing, but it also prevents people from... From being able to look at themselves completely, strengths and weaknesses in order to be able to identify areas where we can improve when it's critically time to improve. And Mm -hmm. uh, I truly believe from the bottom of my heart that D- diversity, equity, inclusion, justice programs in corporate spaces are not going to work until more people have been conscientiously working on their emotional intelligence. Because you have to be able to look at yourself critically and recognize the role that you play in the system. And anybody who is in the system is playing a role. In Nobody yeah, gets to yeah. be checked out of that, you know. But and, and it's a hard thing to look at. But But justice, especially restorative justice, which is going to be so, so, so critical to healing community, Mm -hmm. Um, it just isn't possible when we're not able to say, I messed up. Right. You know, I recognize that this is something that I messed up, and I recognize where it comes from, and I recognize how hard it will be for me to be able to not be in the space anymore. But I'm willing to give it a try. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's that's a hard thing for people to be able to do, and in particular in a corporate space because it's really risky to admit messing up. Anything, yeah. never mind, uh, you know, being racist, <laughs> right? right, or whatever has happened, where restorative justice might be called for. So I think, just in general, you know, being able to have that connection will help us with our relationships with each other, no matter what system we're in. But uh, the system itself that is designed so that we are not in touch with our emotions and using Mm. our emotions and making connections is designed to keep us isolated. So anything that we do to grow connection and to get more deeply in touch with our own emotions is just a juicy, beautiful, delicious form of resistance.
0: I love that um, yeah, emotional intelligence as a form of resistance. I, I think that's such an important statement um, to segue a little bit more into actually starting your business. So transitioning out of the corporate space and going into uh, on your path of entrepreneur entrepreneurship towards coaching. What did that look like for you? And yeah, just tell us a little bit more about the start of that journey for you.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Um, It was not pretty, (laughs) (laughs) not a pretty beginning. I had actually really from the minute that I stepped foot on the corporate ladder, which, you know, I, I did as the primary breadwinner in my family, Mm -hmm. supporting, you know, uh, my kids and uh, just, you know trying to get that 401k action going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was trying to also immediately get off. And my dream had been to, uh, um, like I said, I had this plan to go from copywriter to vice president of something in about five years. Um, And then, you know, just wander away and do my own thing, be a copywriter, be a strategy consultant. I was already a Reiki certified Reiki healer. I was going to be a doula. I was going to have like unicorns and sparkles on my wacky website of like all the Jill of all trade things that I was going to be able to do. Uh, But when I got divorced, that was a a real kind of dream crusher when it came to working for myself for a few years and was truly, truly heartbreaking. It was a a really fascinating Like a a really serious loss because I had worked a long time to get to exactly the position, and then I was stuck in this Mm -hmm. place, and it was a bad place for me to be. It was not a good uh, um, environment for me, and ultimately I got laid off from that uh, role, and uh, kind of was like, well, I guess I should try to start a business. I don't know. So I've got a cool network. Let's see. Like maybe if I just tell people I'm thinking about it, we'll kind of see what happens. And that was in mid February of 2020. About 24 hours after I got laid off, I hung my shingle and started my first website copy <laughs> draft. <laughs> and called up a bunch of people that and told them that I was planning on doing something and I didn't know what. And got some really enthusiastic responses to that. So. Um, I kind of stuck with it, but when COVID hit and everything got shut down, I was a single mom, remote schooling, two little Mm, kids. My kids are nine and 11 now, so they were even lower then. Um, And there was just no way for, For me to, I mean, it just seemed totally impossible to find a company that was just trying to figure out what they were going to do with COVID at all, Mm -hmm. that would be willing to hire somebody at a vice president level position, whose only guaranteed availability was like between 9pm and midnight (laughs) Eastern time. Uh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, there was just no way it was too chaotic. So I was like, I guess this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And just started doing stuff. I picked up a couple of coaching clients, people who had sort of just been waiting in the wings for me to announce that I was a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I picked up a couple of marketing clients. I started working for an agency as a subcontractor and just, you know, gigged it up and, and experimented and explored and tried to figure out what it was that i was going to do because i had absolutely no plan when i started mm. zero i still kind of don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> building while assembling right i mean yes that's like yes. what you got to do in a lot of ways um i i want to talk a little bit more about like what sort of person um typically is attracted to you or typically works with you, um, that you feel like you can best support through this process?
1: Yeah, I have found, so I do a couple of different things. I do just like very direct emotional intelligence transition coaching, Mm -hmm. which is really for people who are trying to figure out if they want to stay in their job or not, or are planning on leaving their job and aren't quite sure what they want to do. So that's a portion of it. But I also do, um, It's called sounding board sessions, which is sort of like advising and coaching and consulting with the marketing leaders inside of corporate spaces and also with small business owners, Mm -hmm. just people who need somebody else to talk to, a peer that they can strategize with and get advice from. Um, It's a similar kind of group of people. Um, But for my coaching clients, usually I find the people who are ready to work with me are people who have been high achievers, Mm -hmm. hard workers, people who really went Up The corporate ladder without trying super hard because they were amazing doers of things. They had good ideas. They were very energetic. They got stuff done. And then they got to a leadership position level where they got to look behind the curtain a little bit Mm -hmm. and how things actually happen and were shocked, Mm -hmm. (laughs) shocked shocked at the way performance reviews went down, shocked at the way that, you know, salary decisions were made, shocked at, you know, the way that like the staff was looked at from that level and were extremely uncomfortable being in that type of position in whatever space that they were in or were unprepared for making the shift from doer to leader. Yeah you know, and that started to make them feel kind of like, oh, this is not comfortable for me for whatever reason. Um, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, creating content that sort of mirrors my experience of observing Mm -hmm. the corporate world as a person that did not belong there. And I think that folks who sort of have always had that feeling of like, I'm working really hard and I'm doing a really good job. And this is a really good job. And I should be really thankful for this good job. But something doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. (laughs) about all of it. That's the person that ultimately kind of comes to work with me. And sometimes they decide to stay and just like really figure out how to play the game. And we just like level up the badass, you know, just get all the tips and tricks to get in there and make stuff happen, you know, and sometimes they're ready to, to make a total and complete shift. So what we really do is kind of tap into all of the things that they are amazing with and the things that give them energy and the things that make them thrive. And, um, it's and we go back into the relationships that they already have, which I think is really one of the really cool pieces of emotional intelligence and focusing on emotional intelligence is that in any situation, you can look back on your relationships with yourself and other people and learn so much about how to move forward. Um, so anybody that works with me at the end of the day loves networking. They, you know, they figure out how to love it. <laughs> I convince them of it. I'm a high priestess of the church of the network. Like that I is love definitely that. <laughs> uh, something that, I, that, you know, really happens when you focus on relationships that, um, you know, it makes a, a huge difference in the directions that you end up going in.
0: I, I love that, that focus on relationships, um, and really, like almost like building up the the tools or the ner- nervous system to allow people to actually focus and go there. Because weirdly, so many like weird. I I'm I'm just saying weird, but like so many limiting beliefs that can come up around like building relationships. Like it's like kind of a really fraught area sometimes, depending on like what your experience with that has been. Like, yeah. um. I know for me, like I always felt like I kind of like was a little bit odd or like stood out in like a lot of the spaces I was in, like in school and growing up. And so um I, I've realized more recently, like I always kind of like come into some of these new spaces thinking like, oh, people are gonna think I'm like weird or odd or I'm like probably not gonna fit in exactly here, or whatever, which isn't always in my highest service to like come in with that assumption. And so I think that like, but, you know, connecting with people is so important for so many different reasons, especially when you're within some of these spaces and illuminating, like maybe what's happening behind the scenes, why those connections are challenging or like getting more practiced at making those connections, I think is like, so, so huge for sure.
1: Oh, most definitely. You know, there's a couple of different layers to that, right? Like first, there's a really... If the more you know yourself, the more you know the kinds of people that you want to be around. And the more you know the kinds of people you want to be around, the easier it is to avoid the people who might think you're weird in the first place or Mm -hmm. who you're not going to, who are going to make you feel bad or different or othered in some way. So the beginning part of it is like the more you love and know yourself, the more you're going to attract the people who love and know you. And then that helps you to avoid the bad people. And that's one of the big lessons that I share with my entrepreneurs, especially people who are working on, um, you know, kind of selling themselves Mm -hmm. is that you don't, you actually, you really do want to, turn some people off. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like
1: there are definitely people that you are not going to want to attract. Not everybody in the world is for you and you're not for everybody in the world, right? So like as soon as you decide who is for you and what's best for you and that that won't limit you, you'll still find amazing different people who you never expected and that will be magical, but it will help you to be able to really be like, you are definitely not for me. Danger zone. The time to avoid. So that's appeasement. And then once you kind of recognize the people who are different or challenging relationships, then you can bring in the tools that you uh, can just apply strategically. Like mm-hmm. if you're in a situation that you find like you're in a, a group. Uh, where you're planning something, and there's somebody who's always difficult in that group, being able to identify what's motivating that person, the ways Mm -hmm. that you might be able to communicate, you might be able to shift your communication style to better reach that person in whatever way, or how you can find compromises, being able to do that then and eases the tension so it gives you that additional layer of confidence there's layer of confidence one that you know who is for you and who you're for and then there's layer of confidence two, which is that when someone is not for you you have the tools that you can use to at least tolerate being in a relationship with them if Mm -hmm. not turning it into something that might be a little bit more productive than it could have been if you just agreed you were not for each other
0: yeah I I love those pieces because I I agree something that I've I've learned recently and, and honestly like can be applied to so many different aspects of life. One of my friends, um, she when she was dating, she was like, I would allow people to self like kind of select or like pull themselves out of the running by just being really transparent on her profile and like kind of in her conversations with people, because it's true. Like in a lot of these spaces that we're in, we're not for everyone. And something that like sometimes kind of runs in the background, but like we don't necessarily realize is happening or sometimes can like bring a lot of emotions up is when that selection process is happening between a relationship with another person. And, you know, we've all had these experiences where, you know, for whatever reason, you don't necessarily jive with another person. And it's like, oftentimes that's okay. Like you can kind of like allow that to like release, but then, you know, the situations where it's like, I don't drive with this person and we have to work very closely together. (laughs) Those are the places where it is important to have those additional tools because, um, you know, to identify like what, what happens next. And weirdly, like, I've had a few experiences in my life and like, I don't know what this is. This actually, you may be able to illuminate some more about this than like I'm able to, but like I've had people that I've worked with in the past that we have not gotten along at all at first. And then I've like kind of gotten to this place where I'm like, you know what? We may not get along. I'm releasing my attachment to us getting along and jiving and I'm just going to be like civil or I'm just going to kind of like go through this relationship and like not put any effort into it and just like be fine that like we don't need to be friends but we do have to work together whatever and then sometimes that has been a breedal or like a fertile breeding ground for a really great relationship. Like it's really weird because I've had this happen a couple of times where like I've had that moment. And then like suddenly I have like a really good relationship with this coworker and we're able to build from a really good place and they become one of my favorite people to work with. So like, what, what is that? What's happening there? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it could be a couple of different things, right? Like it might be something about you or that person that is the giving an instant emotional reaction, right? And our emotions are... The things that have that are happening in our body when mm-hmm. something happens so like if you are scared and your like heart starts beating fast and you start to feel kind of clammy and your head starts to hurt and your eyes dilate or whatever the physical things are that happen to you when you're scared that's the emotion is the, that physical feeling that's washing over you and that's the message that your body is sending you for your brain to then say oh we're having this emotion it feels like fear mm-hmm. let's go through our brain files and think of all the things that are about this scenario that might be familiar to us that might mm-hmm. be creating this feeling of fear let's go through all the things that we know about how to sort of avoid this fear that's when your feelings start to come in right so the emotions are the the physical sensation and then the way that you process it in your mind is the way the feeling thoughts and feelings that sort of come through mm-hmm. and uh, those emotional reactions Our brains aren't choosing those, right? So sometimes we have a visceral emotional reaction to somebody and it could be because they were wearing like the hat that our high school bully always wore, you Mm -hmm. know, like we have no control over it. It's not rational <laughs> right. it's emotional that's kind of the piece of it right and then we can take a step back from from that trigger or any other trigger they may have been having a bad day when you first met them and they said something rude or their energy was off and you just weren't you know kind of matching their energy um you know the idea of being triggered is the, um, this like has this very negative connotation to it, but triggers are our friends. Mm -hmm. Triggers are sending us these messages that we can walk away from that, triggering environment and then say, what happened there? Why did I feel that way? How did I respond to that emotional reaction? How did the other person respond to it? How could I have responded differently to what was going on? What might I try differently next time? And what is the greatest risk of trying that different thing? Hmm, Mm -hmm. Not that risky. Okay. Try it again. And then you can go back into that relationship and sort of see. So that's what you were doing there. You were really, you had an initial triggering response and you worked through all the possibilities. Do I need to be attached to this relationship? relationship. No, I do not. Okay. I choose not to be. And then you went back and tried something new and that trying something new is what created a new dynamic in the relationship. And you could have tried two or three different approaches to mm-hmm. it and had something really great happen, depending on how important it was to have
0: a, that type of relationship. Right. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. I, I love hearing that broken down because I think that is so, um, that's such important information, like. I was talking to my dad about sort of this today, but like triggers, I agree with you, are like such beautiful pieces of information about ourselves. And like, if we're not doing that second step um, of, you know, taking a step back and analyzing like, okay, so like, because I think that sometimes like, triggers come up where we feel, you know, unsafe in some way. That doesn't mean that we always are unsafe, but like unsafe emotionally, like something something comes forward. And then when we like are safe again, when we take the time to like analyze, like why did that come up for me? Because Sometimes it's something that has nothing to do with you. It's something that you witness. It's something that you see on social media that's about someone else. Um, It's something that happens within a relationship. They're like, I don't really know this person from a hole in the wall, but they triggered me really badly today. Like, what is that? And like taking a step back instead of like kind of closing ourselves off, like I'm not going to look at that on social media and I'm not going to like be around that person and I'm not going to like we can do some of that. And sometimes that is helpful for a period of time. But at the end of the day, we have to then do that piece of like why was that so distressing for me? Or like, what came up for me? What is that reminding me of? Like, where, like, where is this coming from? What is this about? And then where can I go from here? And yeah, making different choices, healing it on a deeper level. Like what is here for me? Um,
1: Right. Or always turning around and running away. Right. Sometimes that is the best. Sometimes that is the best choice. What I found is that when people kind of go through that process, and I have an exercise that I walk people through where they I kind of walk through a recent trigger and then I have them go back and think about something in the past that remind that this triggered moment yeah. reminds them of. And yeah. I have them do that a few times, keep kind of going backwards and finding a few more examples. And what we usually find at the end of that process is that the source of the trigger is actually a deeply held value. Mm-hmm. So like the thing that triggers me most is the just like overt sexism in the workplace, like mm-hmm. a man talking over a woman or somebody belittling somebody, you know, like at any type of thing my whole body will respond to that and my mouth will definitely <laughs> respond to that i am triggered i am responding to that triggered and like i made a choice at some point in time that like that's what i was going to do if you trigger me in that moment in that type of environment and i'm safe in that environment then i'm going to respond i'm going right. to let you trigger me and i'm going to trigger you right back <laughs> <laughs> you, know? Like, you know like and i'm doing it on purpose you know like sometimes that's what to, you need to do to to you know, match your objective in whatever space you're in. And that's a big part of it, right? Like, what do I need out of this relationship? Is this, is, Is a better relationship here a requirement for me to be getting my job done or for me Mm. to be safe or for me to have a place to live or whatever it might be? There's no uh, one single path that happens once you've experienced a triggering event. And there are some triggering events that you will never feel safe enough to process. So there's no, you know, none of this is like a hard and fast rule. It's just about kind of having all of those pieces in front of you so that when you're in a space where you can take a break and think about the things that are happening, think about your relationships, think about the way that you're responding to things, places that you feel stuck or places that you wish you could improve, then this is a great avenue to go down because in almost any endeavor, there's a relationship involved.
0: Yes, yes. And I I think that like, I like that you touched on that piece that like, um, you know, first of all, I, I think that, yeah, there's no way to really do this process wrong. Like if you're bringing, you know, some sort of consciousness to it, there's no way to like do things wrong or incorrectly. And it's all about like when and if you feel safe to process something that's coming forward. Cause it's true. We, there are some things that it's like, "Mm, I don't feel safe enough to go there and that's okay to like uh, respect and honor. And there are sometimes where you're like, you know, this is making me really uncomfortable and affecting my life in a negative negative way. And I feel ready to look at and process this for you know the in service to me, you know, and maybe those around yeah. me as a um, peripheral benefit. Um, I I want to hear a little bit more about your like Reiki um, you know, certifications and like kind of this like intuitive aspect of your business, like how much that like really comes forward or maybe like how that looks in your life as an, as individually when you process like, um, healing or emotional intelligence or like all of the, the work that you're doing individually and with clients.
1: Yeah. Yes. So uh, I am a lifelong witch, uh, (laughs) a witch since birth, (laughs) always and forever, always have been, always will be. Um, And so I have been really lucky to be able to kind of have uh, like an energetic connection sort of always. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was pregnant with my oldest child, I was going to a person who did not like the back cracking kind of chiropractic, but like, sort of like, Accessing points along mm. your nervous system type of chiropractic. She was magical. She like cured me of tension headaches and uh, was gr- so amazing for my pregnancy. She mm. wanted to become Reiki certified. So she invited a Reiki master to her place and uh, opened it up as a, a group class for everyone. And I just thought that that would be such a cool thing to do while pregnant, mm, <laughs> like yeah. a neat sort of like our mom and baby's first hangout. <laughs> 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 um, it, I was just really, really drawn to it. And it was a, a really cool, it was Reiki one. It was a really cool experience. Um, I, you know, sort of accessed my spirit guides in a really direct way. And that was awesome. Um, and then when my oldest was born, Which I did um, self hypnosis for pain Mm -hmm. management for both of my pregnancies and had the longest freaking labors with both of them. Oh man. <laughs> it <was> so crazy. <laughs> it was so crazy. So I had been in labor for probably 24 hours. And oh, uh, um, when he was born, the cord, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck two times. So the nurse that was helping with the delivery sort of took her finger and bloop, just like untangled his little head, but he had to get put right into an incubator and they mm. had to kind of monitor him and make sure that everything was okay. Okay. And I was, um, I had chosen a, a, this really amazing hospital that worked uh, um, uh, almost exclusively with the local midwives in the mm. town. So they had this very midwife centered practice in a hospital setting. And when I turned to one of the nurses and said, I can do Reiki, can I have him instead of him being in the incubator? She didn't even bat an eye. Mm. (laughs) She just took him out of the incubator and handed him over. And, uh, you know, we just energized it up and he was Mm. good to go. Just like charged him up and we practiced when he was uh, in me and then we used our skills together and Uh. it was, you know, just beautifully timed. So I never used, I never went into a Reiki practice, but I, whenever I had colleagues or friends who were pregnant or who were trying to get pregnant, um, I would uh, give them Reiki either um, like directly or I got certified in Reiki too and I would do long distance um, Reiki for folks. And Mm -hmm. uh, what I found when I was doing um, long distance Reiki in particular was that I would come be able to come up with really detailed and specific guided meditations that I could provide mm. to them that I would sort of envision as a part of the process of, uh, um, you know, sending them love. Um, and that really felt more like what the practice was, that really what I was doing when I was sending them Reiki was kind of tapping into that connection and then giving them this tool yeah. that they could then use, uh, um, you know, as a part of it. And I think that, that practice over the years i mean that's my oldest is turning 12 this summer so it's been mm-hmm. over a decade since i've been you know doing that um you know i think that gave me a lot of confidence in being able to know that uh, my craft is is in it's in the words that I use. It's in Mm -hmm. the guidance that I give. It's in the, you know, the exercises and the visualizations and the way that I ask people to do things. That's what my craft is. That's what my gift is, is the way that I can describe things and move people into different mindsets by telling them stories and having them tell me stories and interpreting them back to them. And that was really all sort of connected as a part of the experience of where I am today.
0: I love that story so much. I mean, there are so many amazing pieces of it. Um, and I especially love that, like final, like knowing around like, um, your words being like the healing property. I've definitely felt that like in, you know, my initial connection to you, um, as well as like throughout this podcast and, um, Yeah, I can totally like I can totally envision like you doing a guided meditation that's like quite specific and just like kind of pouring love over people. And I think that that can be so, so magical and so transformative Um, and is like a really amazing way of like distributing energy um, that um, I I don't know that it's discounted necessarily, but I think sometimes people – I think that healing happens in a lot of different ways and also through a lot of different medium. And I think that healing through words is a a very significant medium um, that can exist inside and outside of a spiritual context. Um, I'm just curious, do you know your sun sign in astrology? (laughs) I'm an Aquarius oh I'm an Aquarius too that is so funny um (laughs) I I was just curious if there was any I don't know why like I is there any Virgo in your chart that you know of or no
1: I don't think so okay I don't think so but astrology was never the thing that like really drove me yeah because if felt too prescriptive yeah. in a lot of ways and so another sort of like extension of my practice is using tarot oh, and wow. I use ta- I really what I really like to do with tarot is just use the major arcana so uh-huh. just like the the sort of journey um and I have like assigned uh, different positions of the hero's journey in literary theory to different cards in the major arcana. And so I'll pull a card and create a prompt that's based off of the hero's journey and the Mm. symbolism of that card. Um, That's what I do during full moons and new moons.
0: (laughs) And then I encourage people to write about it and think about it. Yeah. I love that practice so much. I like Um, I don't work with the tarot super consistently, but I am like called to every once in a while. Um, and I think that there's like, so it's such a magical, like storytelling medium. Like that is what attracted me to it most, I think at the beginning. And like when I'm, I have read some tarot for other people, but I, I am, I'm not, um, it's not so interesting to me that I've like delved into deep study of it. And so I don't really like use it. I don't sell it as like a a standalone offering. Um, but I feel like I love looking at that deck as really like a story that like, tells itself through each of the individual cards. I think it's such a cool way to learn as well. And almost seeing like the cards is like a moving picture of like what happened before this, what's happening in this card, what's happening after, what's coming, what came, what's the story of the card before, what's the story of the card after. I think there's like so much beauty there of like this whole like, I don't know, like this vig- visual, like storybook. So I, I think that's so yeah. cool. Um, and where do you share these like journal prompts? Is it just like, or do you not share them?
1: I do actually, I have a a personal Instagram that's for like my family and friends. And just so I share it in my stories. And then I usually have friends that will like (laughs) chime in the friends that it resonates with at any point in time will kind of message me. And so it's a fun way to kind of keep that connection going with a lot of folks too. Like, oh my gosh, I really needed this. And then they'll tell me the story about why they needed that one thing. And it just like keeps it all happening, you know, which is sort of what it's about. I mean, I use it more in my my personal practice um you know on a, a not a daily basis but when i need to puzzle through something then i'll you know um pull a card and figure out what it what it means in whatever context it is that I'm trying to puzzle through. How can I look yeah. at this as a thing that I need to let go of? Or how can I look at this as something that I've already achieved and now I need to celebrate or whatever the card is kind of telling me? Um, and that's what I like about sort of the hero's journey aspect of it too, is that um, it kind of gives you sort of a sense of the placement of where you are in the, the kind of timeline of uh, whatever it is that you're trying to puzzle over, you know, mm-hmm. so if you're more towards the end in the cards and you can kind of envision a conclusion um, versus if you're sort of at the beginning, if you pull the fool, then you know that you're um, just getting started.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. If you ever expand that to like an email list or something, please let me know. Cause I, I would will. love to be a part of that email thread, <laughs> that monthly full moon uh tarot tarot reading. That is so cool. I will do that. <laughs> um, Liza, where do you have any final things to offer us? Like any final notes or final like um perspective to give to people that are maybe like, just through this post- podcast, illuminating that this is the piece that they need, this emotional intelligence piece? Um, what do you maybe have to offer them?
1: You know, I think, in particular, because the you really are in a spiritual and healing space. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think uh, is the uh, uh, mixed attuning yourself to your emotional intelligence, really important is that it gives you the ability to be able to trust your gut. The Mm -hmm. more that you work with your self-awareness and self-knowing and self-acceptance, the more you can hear your inner voice. And so as you're exploring esoteric ideas, of which there are so many and Mm -hmm. so many different directions you can go and so many different people that you can talk to, to, avoid overwhelm, to avoid danger, to avoid moving into a space that uh, isn't ultimately the right space for you, being able to access that inner knowing will help you to maintain a path that is uh, healthy and safe and uh, aware of everything around you, right? Because you have that self-knowing as one element of emotional intelligence, and then you have the other knowing, other awareness, and, uh, um, you know, other management relationship management. That's a part of it. It, makes you have to be aware of both of those things so that you also don't become really isolated in your journey either. Because it is that self-knowing, if you only worked on the self-knowing stuff, you would still have a lot of emotional intelligence, but making sure that it's relevant to the world around you and the relationships around you is what really amplifies all of the other work that you're doing. It's just like a a foundation that gives you lift.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful, uh, sentence to end with. Um, (laughs) so where can people find you? Um, yeah. Where are you? Where can people find you? How can people work with you?
1: Yeah. So my website is Liza And I, uh, um, also spend a lot of time ranting on LinkedIn where, I work to my content is both to attract clients but also to like at- irritate the old white man that I think need to retire <laughs> and let other people be in charge sometimes it's directly kind of targeted at them it's just fun um and then on Instagram I am at good.doobie which um is my my sort of other space that I like to play. And that's where you know I sort of show up in videos and tell stories in addition to sharing exercises and really juicy content. i I really coach through my content as much as anything else because I really want people to be able to access it at whatever level they are. So follow me in any of those places, and then you can um, contact me through any of those places, too.
0: Perfect. I'll, as always, I'll link everything in the show notes below so that it's accessible to all of you. Liza, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Of course. And for everyone listening or watching, I will see you next week. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Four Year Healing Pleasure Podcast. You can listen to us on all podcast platforms as well as watch the video on YouTube. To keep up with this podcast, please subscribe, and if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. I really appreciate it. To keep up with Spiritum Meditation and this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Spiritum Meditation. If you would like to book a session with me, you can do so at SpiritumMeditation.com.